In today's episode of Malicious Compliance, people conform to the letter, but not the spirit of a request. Don't forget to subscribe to the channel with notifications turned on and drop a thumbs up. You can't continue working from home because you go idle and chat too often. Sure, I'll do that as maliciously compliant as I can. As part of the plan to return to the office post-COVID, my company has done a lot of redesignating of who can permanently work from home, who can hybrid, etc. I really wanted to work from home full-time. I hate the office with a burning passion. It's distracting, it's a long commute, and there's no benefit to being there, so on and so forth. I'd rather just be at home. Well, when we thought May was going to be go back to the office time, they started giving out the new designations. I got designated as in office full time. It made no sense to me. I work on a team of eight people and each of us in different office somewhere in the country. I literally have never been to an in-person meeting or needed to do in-person work in three years at this company. Every single other person on my team got designated to work from home, so I brought it up with my boss and asked to work from home. When I started at this company and lived elsewhere, I got to work from home for four months before I moved and the past 14 months during COVID have been at home. So 18 out of 36 months at the company have been work from home. What I was told is that I go idle too often to be trusted to work from home. Basically, we have a company-wide instant messaging system that shows you as available, idle, or in a meeting. If you don't touch your keyboard for five minutes, minutes, you're shown as idle. So they've decided to use this as a measure for who is working and who isn't. The thing is, like many people in many types of jobs, I don't have things to do for a full eight hours every single day. The amount of work I have to do on a typical day takes about three to five hours of actual attention. There simply isn't something to do all the time. My performance numbers actually went up when working from home and by all KPI numbers, key performance indicators, I'm a better worker at home. In fact, the key performance indicators that I don't flat out lead the team in, I come in second. There isn't work to do that I'm neglecting or procrastinating. When something comes up, I simply do it until it's done or until I can't do it anymore due to waiting on someone else and then stop. And I've done that method long enough that my work queue stays empty because I work to get my queue down to the point where when something comes up, I can immediately address it and be done with it. But because I have other ways to spend my time and downtime, instead of messaging around online at my queue, pretending to be working, meaning I I show idle more often. I'm a worse worker, apparently. I was told if it weren't for that, they would let me at home. So I wrote a six-line PowerShell script that virtually inputs the keyboard period key every four minutes and then starts running every day at 8 a.m. and stops at 5 p.m. So now I literally never go idle. I do the same amount of work and still read books, watch TV, play video games on the side, but I have a shiny green check next to my name all day. Because of COVID complications, they eventually said no going back until after Labor Day. I just had a meeting with my boss and he said over time, they've noticed I go idle a lot less than I used to. So they're changing my designation to work from home, all because of a little icon in some software. This concludes my TED talk on why low to middle level managers are the dumbest, most useless, do nothing positions in all of corporate America. He then talks about the actual script that he uses and how he doesn't need to buy a mouse jiggler because I guess a lot of people are suggesting he buys a mouse jiggler. But the way the code is laid out is he has a thing called dummy shell, which equals new object and a w script dot shell. And then it does dummy shell dot send keys. And then it has the period, which is the thing that he's inputting. He says that's the backbone of the whole thing. There's different ways to implement it with for loops or scheduled tasks or whatever. But that part
parts up to you. That's all the PowerShell needs at its core to accomplish this. A lot of people have pointed out that sending insert or F13 instead of a period would be better. So change that up if you want. So that seems like the dumbest possible reason to force somebody to come in through a long commute because the idle icon on the chat software pops up too often. I mean, what is the point of having KPIs, the key performance indicators, if they're not used for stuff like this? Is it specifically used for payments or what else would you use it for other than stuff like this? I mean, if you're doing a better job than everyone else with the exception of maybe one person while you're at home, then what does coming into the office actually do? I mean, there are certain jobs you actually have to be there. I get that. That makes sense. But in this case, it sounds like that wasn't one of them. But let me know if you guys have ever been in a situation similar to this and what did you or would you do, whether it's malicious compliance or not. My neighbors wanted to call a professional to mark their property line and my parents agreed. This was a long time ago, but I remember it clearly. We moved into a community with a tight space in between our house and our neighbor's house and we didn't like them being able to see into our kitchen, so we put up a bunch of plants costing thousands of dollars, but my parents thought it would be worth it. A week later, my parents awoke to the plants completely chopped down. My father was furious and marched down to our neighbor's house. He told my father the plants were on his property line. Therefore, he had total right to take them down. He warned that if anything were to go on his property again, he would report us to the authorities immediately. Later that day, my father called the company that put in the plants and with the warranty, we could have them replanted next week for no charge. We made sure there was no way it was on our neighbor's property. However, a few days later, we caught him chopping them down at 2 a.m. We called the police for obstruction of property and after a chat with my neighbor, he decided to call a professional and mark his property line. My father agreed. A few days later, I got home to find orange tape in my neighbor's yard. Apparently, his fence was 11 feet over our property line. We watched as he took down his fence completely furious. Within the next month, we were enjoying our new space and privacy in our backyard and my neighbor ended up losing one fourth of his backyard. My neighbor ended up having to pay almost $10,000 for the destruction of our property and we got to plant our plants again. This whole property line thing seems to happen pretty often and I'm surprised that the neighbor didn't know that the line was 11 feet into his yard. I mean, I wonder how this kind of stuff happens. Does the person who lived there before just move the fence out when the other neighbor is moved away and then hope they don't notice and then just do a little by little over time? Or is this something that happens at the very start when everything is built? There was a little mini story that was posted in response to this where they said something similar happened to my parents' house last year. New neighbors bought the house beside ours and started doing renovations without permits and complained that our fence was on his property and that the new stone walkway leading to the back my stepdad built the previous summer needed to be dug up and removed along with the fence. My parents tried to reason with him, explaining that all of the landlines in the area are all crooked and that everything had been this way for over 30 years without issue. He wouldn't hear it and insisted on the removal, so my mom called the city and requested a new evaluation after fighting with this guy for months. Turns out, not only was the fence on our land, but his new one was on our land as well. His back fence was on the land of the backyard neighbor and the same on the other side. My mom got the other three houses that bordered his to all get evaluations as well, so in the end, he lost almost half of his yard to the surrounding houses. These are the true land wars of our times. America, we are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. 
To serve others in ways that promote human flourishing and create a ripple effect of transformation for generations to come. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu. In the original story, I don't know why having the plants in front of the window would bother him so much, unless maybe he just wanted to look through the kitchen window for some reason. So let me know what you would do if you were in this situation when it comes to land. A police officer attempted to intimidate my patient, but loses the fight to physics. I'm a paramedic. A few months ago, we were coming back from a routine patient transfer when at an intersection about four blocks from the base, I noticed a woman sitting on the side of the road with her arms wrapped around herself and her head down. I nudge my partner who's driving and we flip all the lights and I see her head come up real fast and she looks terrified. I get out and she relaxes when she sees the ambulance. After I approach, I notice bruising on her wrists and other signs of domestic issues. She seems hesitant to get up off the curb and into the ambulance, so I decided that I would at least pull the cot out of the back and give her something a little more comfortable than concrete to sit on. Now, a few important details. All of the cots in my service are striker-powered cots. You've almost certainly seen these before. They're bright yellow with black handles and have side panels. These cots have a motor and battery built in to allow us to raise and lower the cot at the touch of a button instead of throwing out our backs having to physically lift the cot after loading someone. They're usually paired with an automatic loading system built into the ambulance that lifts the cot up to the right height to be pushed inside and also secures the cot when loaded. There's a little red tab at the end of the track just inside the doors that you press down to free the cot and allow it to slide out. When you press this tab, it simply releases the cot and the loading carriage it's connected to, and it's up to you to keep it under control until it reaches the unload position and locks into place again. This can be problematic because these cots weigh about 125 pounds or 55 kilograms. As soon as I hit the release tab for the cots, I hear the lights and sirens behind me. It's a city police car, which is weird because we had not yet requested the police, and we were outside the city in the sheriff's department's jurisdiction. We merely informed the dispatch that we were stopping to check on a woman at such and such intersection, the woman says something along the lines of, oh god, he's here, and moves faster than me seeing free food being distributed at base. She dashes past me and pretty much hurls herself into the ambulance, sitting on the bench seat. The cop is approaching and he's pissed. I put two and two together and slam the ambulance doors shut. Let's call this officer police officer Steve, or POS for short. Steve says, is that B? Is she in there? Me. Who? Steve, you know damn well who I'm talking about. Me, you mean my patient? I'm afraid I haven't gotten a name yet. Steve, open those doors. I need to talk to her. Me, you're not using my rig as an interview room. You could talk to her at the hospital. We go back and forth like this for a few minutes and my partner comes back at some point to see what the holdup was, but overheard my stonewalling and went back to the cab to call our chief. I continued my routine of deny and delay until a pair of deputies, likely specifically requested for this by the chief arrive. Oh good, now I have witnesses. See, we had stopped on an upward incline. I had hit the release tab on the cot and it wanted to slide back. I had to close the door so swiftly, I didn't bother pushing the cot back up against the stops and locking it in place. Emboldened by the presence of the two deputies, he gets in my face. Get out of my way or I'm gonna have to charge you with obstruction. Okay. I step out of his way and he opens the double doors. Between the cot, the monitor, and the jump bag, I'd say there was probably close to 160 pounds contained by those doors, all of which comes barreling out 
and hits Steve, the officer, square in the chest. He goes backwards and falls on his butt. One of the deputies laughs out loud. The other walks up and kneels down beside the guy. He says, your shift captain is going to be here in five. I wouldn't be here then if I were you. Officer Steve gathers himself up, scowls at me, and then stomps off. There is a limited amount that I can say about the aftermath as the trial is not settled yet, but we all know how well charges stick to cops. The woman is now living elsewhere. The cop is still a cop, and I have been getting pulled over at least twice a week ever since then. But the video footage of him getting body checked by that cop remains one of the best things I have seen. So I think the obvious implication is that the officer, Steve, is the one that was doing this to that woman, which is horrifying. The paramedic here, if he knew that or assumed that, I hope reported him or told someone in order to help this woman. Otherwise, she's going to have to keep going back to that. Unless I'm completely missing the point of this, and that is not what the implication is. And also, as other people have pointed out, getting pulled over twice a week is definitely harassment. They must have figured out the name of the paramedic, found out what his license plate is and what kind of car he drives, and then just constantly just keeps pulling him over again and again. Someone responded to this saying that, I can't recall the case, but I do know someone successfully sued over this exact police behavior of pulling someone over twice a week. There's another story where somebody said, I know someone who was pulled over 26 times in one week at the height of the harassment. This was 20 years ago, so he used audio recordings and a VHS camera for documentation. After a month or so, his lawyers got an injunction against the department. He would lock his brakes up whenever he saw a cop car, do a donut slash burnout, and drive off flipping them off as they couldn't pull him over anymore. Oddly enough, it was in a small town in Texas of all places. SWAT eventually raided his meth lab and his days of joyriding were over, but for about six months, he was Mario Andretti all throughout that town. So anyway, the better outcome probably would have been to actually try and help the woman in the situation, if I'm understanding this right, rather than letting the cop get hit in the chest with 160 pounds that maybe could have been really severely dangerous. But let me know what you guys think. What would you do if you were in this situation or maybe you have in this situation let me know what happened